Again, we want to welcome you here this morning. We're so glad that every single one of you uh, is able to join us today. Can you believe that summer's almost gone? Can you believe it? I don't want it to be. I, I still feel that every time, every year around this time, I kind of feel that little boy in me creeping out again that loves to just, when I was growing up, to just run around barefoot in the summer and, and eat freezy pops and play baseball all day and never, never, never grow up and never go back to school, right? And there's just kind of that angst. But as we know, uh, we got a little taste of fall weather this week, didn't we? Uh, and so we know that that season is on the way, and we know this week, last week, and this week, a lot of kids and uh, teachers are headed back to school, so I want to uh, pray a special prayer for you and, and also a prayer of blessing over uh, parents as well. I know as it can be a time uh, where you need a lot of patience uh, as well. But there is one good thing about the summer winding down. There's one good thing about the end of August every year in Iowa, and you know what it is. The Iowa State Fair, Right? It's the best state fair in our state, right? You've heard that before, right? So what I've realized about the fair, um, but how many of you had a chance to take in the fair this year? Quite a few of you? Okay, awesome, awesome. So you kind of you get the whole idea. So I've come to the conclusion there's two different kinds of people when it comes to the Iowa State Fair or amusement parks or those sorts of things. So some people love it so much that they would go every day if they could, and never get bored. They, they would always find something to do, right? They could go every single day of the fair and never get bored. And in our house, that person's name happens to begin with a T and end with Iphany. <laughs> and <laughs> on the other hand, the, there's this other group of people over here that are fine taking maybe two to three hours in an afternoon, Stopping at a few interesting places, getting a corn dog, and then getting out of there and heading home, right? And you can guess who that person is in our house, right? That's me, right? So we're a house divided when it comes to the fair. And although we have our differences when it comes to how long time we should spend there, there's one thing that we do agree on, and that is the food at the fair. I know. I know, some of you are thinking you need to lay off it, but I love it. So once a year, we decide, you know, we can't get this kind of food anywhere else, so we go, and uh, actually, I want to take a little poll here this morning just to get a feel uh, for where everybody is at on your favorite fair food, okay? So even if you haven't been this year, you kind of know these foods, all right? So let's start off with an easy one. How about the corn dog? Is that anybody's favorite, right? Maybe the, the extra long corn dog, right? Okay, corn dog. How about cotton candy? Any cotton candy? Wow, not very much. Okay. Okay. What's that? For, okay, how about deep fried anything? Okay. <laughs> right? You can cover a lot of fair foods with deep fried. Um, oh, how about this one? Um, deep fried uh, stick of butter wrapped in bacon. Anybody? Okay, that booth was brought to you by the American Heart Association. Okay? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, okay, so there's a few different ones out there. Okay, how about the almighty funnel cake? Anyone? All right, good. I had a feeling that would be the most popular one. And just to make sure that you pay attention, just to make sure you pay attention during the sermon, all right, whoever takes the most notes during the sermon gets a free prize. No, I'm kidding. We'll see who really loves Jesus here. No, I'm joking. I love funnel cakes. I love funnel cake so much that last night, as I was uh, finishing preparing for today, what was I thinking about? Our scripture. <laughs> and funnel cakes, right? So uh, my, my wife, who happens, name begins with a T and ends with Iphany, happened to be uh, at the fair 
once again, and I texted her and said, could you get me a funnel cake? I need it for my sermon. Just highly spiritual reasons here, right? I love funnel cakes. And just the scent of them, it kind of draws my nose to there, uh, to that booth, and I go and get extra sugar on it. And I could eat these all day long. In fact, I probably shouldn't. But here's the thing. Whatever your favorite fair food, you know, mine's funnel cake, whatever that is for you, in some strange but similar way, I believe that this is God's desire for us, (laughs) that we would hunger after his word. I just have this feeling that there's going to be a funnel cake stand in heaven, right? I'm serious, right? But even more so, I think about how much I love funnel cakes, how much I look forward to it, how much when I see it, I want to devour it. Why would it be any different with something that can change your life like that book that you're holding in front of you this morning? In fact, in the Psalms, multiple times, the psalmists compare God's word to like the sweet nectar the sweet taste of honey on their lips. All throughout the Old Testament, God, I love your word. I love your law so much that it consumes me. I can't wait to experience it. And so as you think about that today, as you're kind of in fair mode today, I pray that that would be the illustration of how hungry we are for God's word, the way that God's word satisfies us like nothing else. I've never left the funnel cake stand unsatisfied, right? And I pray that it would be that way for us as well. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about this as well. In fact, he says this in Matthew 4 when he's being tempted in the desert by Satan. And Satan says, Jesus, turn this rock into bread. And Jesus says, that's not how I get my true spiritual food. In fact, he says this. Let's read it together. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of of God. Man does not live on bread alone. John does not live on funnel cakes alone. We live on the word of God. That's what we're called to to feast on. So today as we dig into God's word, I pray that he would increase our hunger. Literally, that he would increase all of our hunger to read the Bible like we never have before, to know him more and more and more. Because the ultimate goal is not just to get through the Bible, right? It's to discover the one that the Bible points to, and that's Jesus Christ. In fact, that's our number one value here at Lutheran Church of Hope, is Jesus is life. And the rest is just details. That's our number one value. Nothing compares to him. And so that's why we dig into God's word. So if you've got your Bibles out and you're not already there, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. And that's one of the spots that we're going to be today. So if you're new today or if you've been away for a while, this whole summer we've been going through the book of Romans. And we're in Romans chapter 12. Uh, We're getting towards the end of the book, but it's such an incredible book, we thought we'd take the whole summer to go through it. In fact, uh, the part of the book when Paul's going to start to get very practical, and today as we get into 12, he's going to give us some ways to apply everything that we've been learning the whole summer. The last few weeks we've been in Romans 8 through 11, and we've been laying a pretty important foundation of our faith. Remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Mike talked to us about Romans chapter 8 and how nothing can separate us from the love of God, amen? Amen. Nothing can carizo us. That's the Greek word. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can break us away from God's love. And because of his love for us, we learned that we've also, a few weeks later, we've been adopted. Remember? We are sons and daughters. And we don't have to live 
as orphans, but instead people we know that we're accepted and we have nothing to prove. Because we're sons and daughters, we have nothing to prove, we have nothing to earn, but simply live into who God says we already are. So I'm not much of an artist today, but I'm going to try to give you a little bit of an example of what this might look like. So Paul is a great theologian. He's an incredible philosopher and writer, and so he knows what he's doing. And for those of you, you know you're in school, you're in college, you're writing a term paper, it should probably have a logical flow to it, right? Romans is not just a bunch of random verses. Romans is building on each other. Paul is building an argument from Romans 1 all the way to the end, and there's a reason that things are in the order that they are. There's a reason that the things we're going to talk about in Romans 12 today have to be built on the foundation of what we learned earlier. So we have this foundation that, that we know that we're loved and we know that we're adopted. Those are two major themes that we see in the first several chapters of Roman, Romans. And so that's our foundation. And so when Paul is writing this, he's assuming that we, just like the church in Rome that he's writing to, have been listening to this letter out loud, and that we understand what has come before it. So by the time we get to chapter 12 today, we know that God has this unconditional love for us. We know that we have this foundation as sons and daughters. And so look at the very first verse in chapter 12. It says, therefore, Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we know that whenever an author writes the word, therefore, (laughs) he's referring to something before, right? Therefore, Paul's saying, based on Romans 1 through 11, this is what we we should do. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So we have this basis. Paul's saying, therefore, because nothing can separate you from the love of God, because nothing can charizo you, because you've been adopted as my sons and daughters, now... Paul says, this is where the rubber meets the road. This then is how we shall live. So skip down to verse 9 and our reading today. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your enthusiasm, your spiritual fervor, and serve the Lord. Be joyful. Be faithful in prayer. Share with those in need. Practice hospitality. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony. Do not be proud. (sighs) It kind of makes you run out of breath, doesn't it? Paul just lists off this whole thing. It's, it's, it's quite the list. It's almost like somebody asked Paul, so Paul, based on everything we've talked about before, uh, how would you describe the Christian life? <laughs> right? And it's almost like Paul got really giddy and excited here in Romans chapter 12, and he wrote, well, there's this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and then he just goes on and on and on and on, right? Paul would not get an A in, uh, in English class here, right? This is like a run-on sentence uh, uh, to beat the band. So Paul's just giving us this long, long list. And although it's a little overwhelming, wouldn't you agree that that list in front of you is a pretty good portrait of Christianity? I mean, just look at that list again. I think every single one of us would want to be a part of a community like that, right? That sounds like a church I would want to be a part of. And I don't think there's anyone here today that would argue that that would not be a good kind of life to strive for. And yet, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read something like that in Scripture, I get overwhelmed. 
Is anybody busy? Am I the only one that's busy? Anybody ever get tired or stressed out because you have so much to do? Yeah, I didn't think I was the only one. And so I, sometimes I come to Scripture, I come to God's Word, and then I read all these things. Do this, do this, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, do this. And it gets kind of overwhelming, to be honest. So let's just run through that list. Again, go ahead and just yell them out, just kind of one or two words to describe what is Paul calling us to do. So just yell them out. Just green light it. Just yell, yell out some things from verse... Love others, okay? Work hard. Honor. Yeah. Rejoice. Somebody said bless. Somebody say patient. Be humble. Yeah, share. Pray. Share. Harmony. Good. Yeah, do we have honor? Okay, honor. Yeah. No laziness. All right, I'm going to cut it off there because I'm running out of room. That's quite the list, isn't it? I kind of look at that, it looks like a big laundry list, and, but yet here in Romans 12, Paul says that's how we're called to live. This, Paul says this describes, not holistically, but this describes the Christian life. And, and some of you might look at that list and say, oh my word, John, that's a lot to do. I, I thought being a Christian was easy. That, that seems kind of overwhelming because I got all these other things I got to do. So list, list off some things to me that when you go home today are on your to-do list of life. Just list off some things. Laundry. Everybody loves laundry. The garage. Yeah, we got to exercise. Work off the funnel cakes. Mow the lawn. Cook. How about the kids? Do we have to do anything with them? No, they take... Oh, yeah, they're at the zoo. We don't have to do anything with them. Okay, we'll cross off the kids. Some of you might have responsibilities when you get home, right? So you get the idea, right? So we, we look at this list and we say, oh, my word, are you going to add that to what I'm already doing? Uh, I don't see work anywhere on there. Does anybody in here work? Okay. Right? So there's a lot going on there, and we could keep going on. We could go all day with that. And so... That seems like a lot. And yet, for some of you, when you look at that list and you think about Christianity, that's the very reason that you get burned out. That's the very reason that you've gotten disenchanted with the church in the past. Because this view, this image that you have of Christianity, you look at something like Romans 12 and you say, I could never be like that. (laughs) I try and I try and I try and this is the kind of person I do want to be, maybe minus all the other chores. This is the kind of person I want to be, and I just can't live up to that. And the reason that a lot of you have been turned off from the church, maybe the reason some of you are just getting back into the church now, is that the image that you've had of following Jesus, of this whole Christianity thing, is a list of rules, is a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, and it gets a little overwhelming. And yet, for some of you, I would imagine, maybe you're in this camp today, you're saying, I'm already so busy, I got plenty to do. (laughs) I I, I barely made it here today, (laughs) some of you are saying. And now you're telling me you're you're heaping more of these duties on my back. I got work, I got to pay the bills, I got kids, I got all this stuff. And folks, I got good news for you today. (laughs) 
I've got really good news. Romans 12 isn't about a religion. (laughs) And it's not about a list of rules. There's good news for you today so you can breathe easy. Romans 12 is based on this foundation of who we are. And so I would ask just for a moment to just set aside all those other things that are on your list, because you don't have to do them right now. You can just stay here for a little bit, and we're just going to look at the kind of person that God calls us to be. Remember what we talked about at the beginning, why it is so important that everything is based on the foundation that we're loved and adopted. And I'm not an artist. This is a tree, okay? There's my disclaimer, all right? So it's built on the foundation, and we have this trunk. And Paul's saying, let all these things be the fruit of your lives. In fact, we read it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Every tree, Paul's saying, that is rooted in God's unconditional love and acceptance will naturally produce the kind of fruit and naturally produce the kind of life that God requires. So it's not more to do. It's not more to add on to what you're already doing. Paul isn't saying to the people in Rome, be better. He's saying, be you. Does that make sense? He's not saying, do all these things. He's saying, be loved. We can all do that, right? He's saying, be accepted. And then you're going to start to see these things show up on your life. What kind of fruit does an apple tree produce? What kind of fruit does a pear tree produce? What kind of fruit does a Jesus tree produce? Disciples. People that look and act and look like Jesus. And so it's God's desire that we would, for all of you today, and I want you to hear this, that we would not only be saved by the gospel, but that we would be formed by the gospel. And there's a big difference. Folks, as followers of Christ, a lot of us can go our entire lives and never really live into this, and so this will always seem like a burden. A lot of us will go our entire Christian lives thinking this is all the things that I have to do in order to be loved instead of this is who I am because I am loved. And I don't have to earn it or deserve it. So think about that. Look back at verse 9 now. Let's apply that back to the scripture. So we look at it with a whole new lens. Verse 9 says, love sincerely. Sincerely really love people. We're able to do that because we've been loved by the God of the universe. Because I've been loved deeply. Uh, love what, uh, cling to what is good, hate what is evil. Because I know how good God is, <laughs> because it's based in that, I'm actually rather disgusted by sin and evil. It's a natural outflow of that. Look at verse 12. Because I've experienced deep pain, and yet God's faithfulness in that pain, I can live with hope. This is describing our lives, not despair. Verse 17. Because I know that God is the only judge, and he is just, when somebody cuts you off tomorrow on the way to work, when somebody wrongs you, when you get in an argument with somebody, you don't have to get even because you're already loved and accepted, and so you don't have anything to prove. You don't have to go running after justice because God's already the judge. Folks, this is where the gospel gets really exciting. You have no idea how exciting this is. 
Those aren't just words on a page this morning. They can be the very foundation of your life. When God's word is the center of your life, you can start applying it and bending and forming every aspect of your life around who God says you already are. This is when God's love starts to come alive. Because would it not be silly (laughs) to experience something so powerful that maybe you come here on Sunday or you go to your life group or you have this mountaintop experience with God and you're riding high with him and you say, I know I'm loved, I know I'm accepted, and I'm going to turn around and keep living the exact same way I have before. Now, wouldn't that just be silly? (laughs) That wouldn't make any sense, right? It's almost as silly as somebody that goes and looks at a mirror and immediately forgets what they look like. And that's the analogy that we get in the book of James. So to help us understand this a little bit more, let's go together to the book of James, and we're going to help have him help us understand Romans. So let's go to James chapter 1. James is a really small book, a few books after Romans in the New Testament. So let's skip over to James chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 22. So James is writing to the early church. He's writing to a group of believers just like Paul was. And here we discover, James says, that God's word is it's like a funnel cake, but it's also like a mirror. How do you look? Look pretty good? Anybody want to check their makeup or their hair really quick? Okay. I thought I had something in my nose. Okay, so James says God's word is like a mirror. So everybody look at verse 22 for a second, okay? Look at verse 22. James is going to help us understand this a little bit more. We read in verse 22. James says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, immediately goes away and forgets What he looks like. Anyone done that recently? How many of you used a mirror before you came here this morning? Some of you were looking around you going, well, the person next to me obviously didn't, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I barely did. Um, So we use mirrors for lots of things, right? Mirrors reveal things about us that need to change, right? But but who does that? You didn't go and, and do your hair, put your makeup on, or brush your teeth, or shave, or whatever you did this morning. You didn't go and do that in the mirror and look at yourself and say, I'm looking pretty good. I'm really excited to go to church today. And then you turn around and go, wait a minute, what do I look like again? No, wait a minute, what do I look, wait, well, wait a minute. And James is saying, we do the same thing with God's word. We do the exact same thing with who God says we are. I come to Hope Des Moines and John tells me that God has this unconditional love for me and that I'm adopted and I'm accepted as a son or daughter. That's awesome. But then I turn around and I don't live it out. It hasn't taken root. It hasn't taken shape in my life. So James says the same is true of us here. He might also say, How silly is it? How absurd is it to show up at worship every single week and just consume my spiritual fix and then walk out of those doors and do nothing about it? It's the same thing. It's crazy. But what if I told you that there was a mirror 
that not only showed you what you looked like on the outside, but there was a mirror that revealed what you looked like on the inside. And there is. Would you want to look in that mirror? Maybe, maybe not. Some of us aren't so thrilled about what we might find. But James says that's what God's word is like. Hold your Bible out in front of you for a second. Now imagine that in front of you. And James says, that's what God's word is like. It shows us, it reminds us who we are. And that's why it's so important to go back to God's word, to come to worship, to be in community, to be in fellowship with other believers, to be rooted in God's word, because it reminds us of who we are. Otherwise, it becomes pretty overwhelming. And we start to live out of duty instead of delight. And so this is the mirror that we have. So James says again in verse 22, actually, let's read this together up on the screen. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. That our reading of God's word, that our living out would be so natural as breathing in and breathing out. Everybody take a deep breath. Don't let it out. Just breathe in. Okay, we're going to continue with the rest of James now, right? I'm kidding, right? The most natural thing that you were created to do is breathe out, okay? And James is saying, you can't just come every week and keep consuming and keep sucking it in. At some point, you got to breathe out. Don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Sounds simple enough, right? That makes sense. I know I'm loved. I know I'm accepted. So that's how I'm going to live. But in the church, we get that a little mixed up. That somehow we believe that we can be followers of Jesus, that we can look in the mirror, but not actually do what he says. Do you remember the game Follow the Leader? Right? Sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Do you remember growing up the game Follow the Leader? Raise your hand if you remember Follow the Leader, right? So what do you do in Follow the Leader? If somebody says hop, what do you do? If somebody says flap your wings, what do you do? If somebody says jump, what do you do? You jump. If Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, what do you do? Well, consider it. Somehow follow the Jesus is a little different. We live this version of Christianity, and this is what James is warning these believers about, where you actually don't have to do what he says. You can just sit back and say, you know what? My faith is very private to me. I'm flapping my wings in my heart. I'm jumping up and down in my heart. Because my faith is just kind of a private thing. I don't really want to talk to anybody. It doesn't make any sense. Just do it, James says. Remember the old Nike slogan? Just do it. Everybody say, just do it. Do it. Turn to your neighbor, look at him, look at him right in the eyes and say, neighbor, just do it. Just do it. Right? So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, what do we do? We just do it. But more often, what do we do in the church? I memorized it. I memorized Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I memorized it in Sunday school. I memorized it again in high school. Memorized it in confirmation. I remember it in, memorized it in college. I memorized it in my Bible study as an adult. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Lord will be with you to the very end of the age. Yes. And what does Jesus say? Just do it. Just do it. We say, I memorized it, and we settle for a head knowledge, when Jesus says, I want it to seep into the deepest places of who you are, and Jesus says, I do not want any of you to miss out on that life-changing, thrilling feeling 
of what it is like to pour your life into someone and have them model your life to disciple them and to see their life changed because you took the time, because you weren't too inconvenienced in your schedule to disciple somebody. Jesus says, don't just memorize it, do it. You did it. Or how about Simon Says? Remember Simon Says? Same sort of thing, right? Simon Says, uh, pat your head and rub your belly, right? Everybody try to do that for a second. Pat your head and rub your belly. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Some of you are patting your belly and rub your head, right? It's hard, but you remember the game, right? Pat your head. Simon Says, touch your ear. What do you do? Touch your ear. What Simon Says, you do. And what James is telling us here is, why would Jesus Says be any different? What if Jesus actually meant what he said? Just think about that for a second. What if Jesus actually meant what he said? That as Paul writes in Romans, things will be so much better for you if you do what I'm asking you to do. James says, well, Paul says in Romans, things will be so much better for you if you don't just memorize it, if you actually do it. Things will be so much better for you if you honor others above yourselves, if you love, if you really love, if you bless people, if you rejoice even in your suffering when you hold back from getting revenge. How many times do we think Jesus says something that we just have to memorize it or, or study it or go take another class about it or, or maybe learn how to say it in the Greek, right? I've taken Greek. I get it. Some of you maybe have been to seminary too. I get it. I love Greek. It's a beautiful language. But that's not Jesus' primary command to us. So how, how, think about it this way. Parents, those of you that have had kids growing up or have kids right now, imagine you go to your son or daughter and you say, I would like you to go clean your room. That is my command. Go, therefore, into all the messy bedrooms, make disciples and clean your room, right? So imagine you tell your kids that, go clean your room, and then an hour later they came back to you and say, mother, father, that's how it is, right? They, they bow and kneel before you. Mother, father, I memorized what you said. <laughs> go clean your room. See, I can recite it. In fact, I know how to say go clean your room in the Greek. You know, even better, I invited a bunch of my high school little teenage friends, and we got together and actually did a little study on what it would look like if we really actually did someday clean my room. <laughs> Silly, Right? So why do we do the same thing with the command from the real boss? <laughs> the real boss. Why would it be any different with a father in heaven that loves us enough to tell us the truth about who we are, even if it hurts? And so what James is trying to get us to realize, and this, is, this can be life-changing for some of us that have been Christians for a long time. There's a way to read the Bible. There's a way to be a part of five Bible studies every night of the week. <laughs> There's a way to get through the entire Bible and never have it get through you. And I just don't want to be that kind of church, folks, and I know you don't want to be either. There's a way that you could show up at worship every single week and never really let yourself be affected. That's the whole point of this core class that we're going to be talking so much about the next several weeks. We're not just going to have it here, we're going to get it here, and every week you're going to do it. That's how Jesus did it with the disciples. He would teach them and he'd say, now let's go put that into practice. You've been staring into the mirror long enough. Let's go do something about it, disciples. 
And that's what we're going to do in the core class as well. And you're going to learn to do the things that Jesus did because you are loved. That's what James is saying. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 12. When the gospel gets a hold of you, you actually start living like it instead of just singing about it. Take me up on my word. (laughs) Jesus says, what would it look like if you actually took me up on my word? You didn't say, oh, that was long ago. That's for radical, crazy Christians. No, that's for me. So we look into God's word, we're reminded of who we are, and we start living like it's true. Because here's the thing. Here's the crux of the whole thing. When we start to do the things Jesus did, we start to love the things Jesus loved. Isn't that true in real-life relationships, too? The more time you spend with somebody, you start to love and appreciate the things that they love and appreciate, right? Whether it's a guy-gal relationship, whether it's a husband-wife, whether it's a friend, the more I hang out with somebody, I actually start to love the things that they love. So back to the fair. Not the funnel cake, but back to the fair. You'll remember I'm a two-hour-and-out kind of guy, right? So I go and see the butter cow, I get my free stuff, I get my funnel cake, and I'm out, right? That's me. So naturally, I'm not so pumped about going to the fair this past week with Tiffany. And I'm just thinking about all the, how the long walk it's going to be and how we're going to have to stand and wait in line and look at all these displays. But <sighs> alas, anything for love. We get there, right? And so we're rocking around, and this amazing thing happened. I lost track of time. I lost track of time, and all of a sudden, four hours went by. And you want to know what we did? We walked around the entire agriculture building. We walked around the entire horse barn three times. We walked around the entire cattle barn. We watched the Bill Riley talent show. We got some cheese curds, not funnel cake, cheese curds, because that's what she loves. And then I stood and watched a demonstration for a steam mop for 25 minutes. (laughs) And I didn't even think anything of it. This crazy thing started happening. Why? Because the more I spent time with her, the more I started to love the things that she loves because I love her. And I know that she loves me. So why would it be any different in our relationship with God? Ground yourself in God's word, Paul says, and you'll discover who this God is and you'll start to love the things he loves. You're going to start to care for people that are weak and vulnerable. You're going to start to to, want to be close to the people that are hurting. You're going to start to be a big fan of selfless marriage because he is. You're going to start to love your enemies, the people that tick you off. You're going to start to serve them and you'll go, what's happening to me? And Jesus would say, well, you're just being who you are. We spent some time walking around the fair, God says, just you and me. And you start to love the things that I love. So we start to spend some time with this God for a few days, a few years, and we're going to be kind of come these kind of 
people. You're going to see opportunities like Meals from the Heartland, not as good things for other people to do, but the most natural thing for you to do because you've been blessed with so much food. You're going to start spending more time here on Sundays with people that you don't know rather than people that you do know because our God is a God of hospitality who welcomes in the stranger. You're going to start to do these things because God cares a little bit more about people that wonder if anybody cares and if anybody notices them. You'll start seeing your kids as human beings, not human doings, and forcing them to be so busy all the time. You'll start asking yourself, what can I give to the church instead of just what can I get from the church? You're going to start to love the things that God loves, and that includes changed lives. And this is where I want to end today. So last Sunday, we did some baptisms. Anybody at the baptisms? Give a little hoot and holler. All right. There was a whole lot of people there. It was an incredible experience. So last Sunday after worship, we go down to the Raccoon River. And so the plan was to have a short little baptism class for everybody that was interested. And now some people, most of you might think, oh, great, a class with the pastor. This is going to be a thrill ride, right? This is, this is going to be boring. What a drag. Well, let me tell you, folks, not this group. This was the most excited audience I've had in the history of mankind to get baptized, okay? So they are laughing and joking and eating hot dogs and all sorts of stuff. And I get there, I'm like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to top this. So all I can think to do is get up when I give my speech about baptism. I get up and say, hey, folks, how are the hot dogs? And everybody goes, woo, right? I'm like, man, if they get this excited about a hot dog, Think how excited they're going, to forget, they're going to get when I tell them that Jesus forgives their sins. Think how excited they're going to get when I tell them that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside them. I look out. So the whole rest of the class, I've never seen a group of people so stoked about baptism. And we had people standing up in the middle of my talks. I'm not giving you any ideas. And we had amens and hallelujahs and people were shouting out, come on, brother, preach it, brother, keep it coming. For a second, I forgot I was Lutheran. It was amazing. <laughs> And we were just going on and on and on. And to, the, to an outside perspective, people would say, bunch of crazy people. And you know what I would say? God's on the move. God's on the move. The Holy Spirit's on the move. You know what I would say? The tree was bearing fruit. You know what I would say? There was a group of people at the Raccoon River that got really tired of staring at the mirror and they actually wanted to do something about it. There was a group of people down by the river last Sunday that said, Jesus says, I'll do it. Jesus says, repent, be baptized. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to live it. Because they met Jesus and the most natural thing to do was to do what he says, not as duty, but as delight. And so Pastor Ben and I are out there in the water. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And We're out there in the water and the heavens are parting and, and the dove came down. And no, I'm joking. But we're out there. And person after person, venturing out into the water where I was standing, many of them with tears in their eyes, coming up to me, looking up into the sky. And everybody that came, I held them by the shoulders and I got to look them in the eyes and say, child of God, your father in heaven is smiling down on you. And he is so proud of you today. He is so proud of you. You are loved and adopted by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I asked this one, I asked one guy, I said, is it real yet? And he looks me right in the eyes with tears coming down his face. He said, John, I've never, <laughs> I've never experienced something so real in my life. 
this is as real as I've ever felt. And so after this whole event, I'm trying to gather myself and eat some more hot dogs, and I'm on my way home, and there's two things that are coming to mind. First, I have the greatest job in the world. Hands down. There's nowhere else that I'd rather be, and there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. I have the greatest job in the world. I get paid to watch God change lives. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with any of us. It's always been about him. So number one, that. And, and, and secondly, I, I just long for us to be the kind of church that doesn't just celebrate the next event or group or project. All those things are important. But what I want to be as a church is a church that celebrates, most importantly, the reason we do all those things, and that's to watch God transform lives. That's why we exist. To see God do what only God can do. I pray that we would be the kind of church where transformation of people's lives is normal and regular. Because the Holy Spirit is right here, right now. And this message is for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.